as the kids go off to children's church. Um, if you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis 15. All right, we are working through the big story of the Bible and spending several weeks to get oriented with Abraham. And that's what we looked at last week of how God swore to Abram that through him and through his offspring, he's, he's going to bless all the families of the earth. And we, we saw that fulfilled in Jesus. And that, that through Abraham, right, God's plan is to right all the wrongs in the world, to order all the chaos, to make his blessings known as far as the curse is found. And that's what we saw last week. Today we get to see God's covenant with Abram. And uh, what back, I don't know, long, long time ago when I started my seminary studies, one of the first things I heard studying Genesis from R.C. Sproul, he said, you know, if you had one chapter in the Bible that you could take with you, into you, in with you, into prison, what would it be? He said, for me, I think it would be this one. And so just keep that in mind. <laughs> That you could, something you could read and reread and be encouraged by as we read this text. This is God's covenant with Abram. This is the word of our Lord. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer. Of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household shall be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, it was dark, and behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of the Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, 
the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And this is God's word. Uh, he has spoken to us today in love. Uh, let's pray. Our Father, our God, as we look at your covenant commitment to us this morning, uh, help us see the bottomless depths of how faithful you are to us, that you would assure us even in our anxieties and fear. And so for that, uh, we need your spirit. We, we need you to show us your faithfulness. And as we see your committedness to us in Christ, may we respond with that same kind of commitment, uh, ready and willing from now on to live for you. And so do these things and even more than we can ask or imagine, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do not be afraid. <laughs> this is the first time in the scriptures we hear those great words from God to Abram. Don't be afraid. Um, stop freaking out. Right? Calm down. And so what I find really encouraging is right, Abram is the model of the, the, the person of faith. And right at the beginning of his story, you have Abram, the man of faith, the man who's already shown dramatic faith, leaving his family behind to go to a land that he doesn't know where he's going to. He's full of fear, and in his faith, is plagued with doubts and questions. And so this morning, what we're going to do is listen in on a conversation between God and Abram as, as Abram wrestles with his fear. He has doubts about his future. He's, he's struggling to, to see how God is going to fulfill his promises. Uh, we get a real honest description of what it's like to be in relationship with the living God. Uh, what it's like to be a Christian. Right? We have fears that, that the world is not safe. Uh, we have other kinds of fears. We're like Abram. We have wonder if we can hold up our end of the bargain. We have fear of failure. We're going to talk about that. And then we have questions. God, you've made these extravagant promises, and right now I can't see what in the world you're doing. How are you going to keep your promises? And so if you start thinking about it, uh, the life of faith is a topsy-turvy, uh, constantly moving, fluctuating thing. Like the way we experience our faith as an emotional experience, it's like being out in the ocean as the waves constantly drag you all over the place. That's what Abram's experiencing, and so it's in the midst of that kind of fluctuating faith that God's sure and certain word, his covenant, comes to Abram and to us in our fears and our anxieties. And so this text is going to show us what God says to the afraid. We get to see God's covenant for the doubting and then how to live then with those assurances. And so let's look at God's word to the afraid. You know why Abram's afraid here? Why God says, don't be afraid? Well, it says, after these things... That's the first part, and so you go to say, oh, well, what things? Well, chapter 14 happened, and in chapter 14, there was this epic battle between five kings of Canaan and four kings from the Babylonian region, and these Canaanite kings have risen up in rebellion against the Babylonian king, and they, they, they go to war, right? It's the battle of the nine kings, and that the Canaanite kings all lose, Right? And so you read about how like, it was so 
terrifying that they're fighting among tar pits. Losers are running away for their lives and falling into tar pits. It's a horrible way to go. A really clear picture of how unsafe the world is in Abram's world. And the consequence of that battle is Lot, right? Lot had chosen to go live in Sodom, and he got taken as a prisoner of war. And in the midst of all that, you go, okay, where's Abram during the battle? Well, if you're looking at chapter 14, and you find Abram chilling by a tree, hanging out with his Amorite friends, <laughs> right? People are fighting for their life, and he's just chilling with his buddies. It's a really random story, but it, these are Amorite friends who have made a covenant with Abram. They're their allies, Mamre, Eskal, and Aner. And you go, why in the world is that in the Bible? <laughs> right? And if you track in the, the story with us, right, God has said and sworn, I am going to bless Abram and bless the nations through Abram. And so you got a small picture of how that's working out for Abram and these Amorites, these Canaanites. They're hanging out with Abram at peace while the rest of the world is fighting red in tooth, claw, and nail, right? They're just tearing each other apart, dying in tar pits. Right? So Abram's been protected by God this far. And while they're chilling by the tree, a refugee from the battle comes and says, hey, Abram, your nephew Lot was taken. And so Abram rises up with his allies, and they go on this guerrilla warfare-type raid at night with 318 men to go against these kings, and he wins. And he takes Lot and all that stuff, all the loot, all the plunder, and comes back home. And so that's the context for why Abram's afraid Right? He, just, he just went to battle. He just picked a fight. And an ordinary way of life, if you pick a fight with someone else's family, that family's going to get mad and come pick a fight with you. It's an eye for an eye. And so Abram is anxious, wondering what's going to happen. Right? I did this thing. Is God going to protect me? Right? God has already protected him, but even despite those gracious promises that I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, God is swearing I will defend and keep you safe. Right? He knows what God says, but he's afraid. He's afraid of death. He's afraid of his enemies. And so the word of the Lord comes to Abram and says, don't be afraid. I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And this is what's so comforting. Abram's so human. <laughs> right? Life is unsafe. He knows who God is. He knows what God has promised him. And he's anxious. He's afraid. And God comes to him and says, I'm going, God's word's about to be seeable. And he gives Abram this fantastic vision to meet Abram where he's at in the midst of his fear, in the midst of his doubt. And God says, look at me. I am your shield. Such an astonishing declaration. What does a shield do? Right? A shield takes the blows that are meant to kill you and keeps you safe. It's something you hide behind. It's something that protects you from your enemies. See, God is swearing, Abram, I've, I'm going to stand before you, behind you, all around you. I am going to keep you safe. I am your shield. And in fact, whenever you read in the Psalms, this is just a helpful how to read the Bible note. 
you hear over and over again, this is who God is. He is our shield. We picked a couple this morning. All those are remembering these words. Psalm 3, remember what God said to Abram, God is our shield. Right? And for David, when he's surrounded by armies, he says, God is my shield. I can go to sleep. <laughs> it's an astounding thing. Right? So we got this good news proclamation. God is our shield. And if you've ever been anxious and fought really hard not to be, and you tell yourself to, to stop being a wimp and to have courage and just right, plow ahead, be brave, you know that, that even quoting scripture, hearing God speak to your fears, doesn't get your body to go, okay, right? Sometimes it does, but a lot of times it's just a battle to beat down your, your anxieties. You still have questions, you still need assurances, and so that's the conversation we're entering into, is God says, Abram, don't be afraid, and Abram says, well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about reward. If my reward's going to be great, let's talk about this. I have no children. You promised to bless the world through my offspring, and I'm childless, and the, this, this dude, Eleazar from Damascus, is going to be my heir. So what's my reward for trusting you? Right? And so you can start to hear Abram's questions. Not only is he anxious, he's, he's got doubts about God's promise, or at least questions. God, will you do what you have promised? Because I can't see how you're going to do this. It's not happening right now in my time frame. All right. And then the word of the Lord comes to Abram again. and says, hey, Eleazar is not going to be your heir. You're going to have your own kid. And he get, he's given this massive visual aid. Go look at the stars. See if you can count them. That's how big your family is going to be. It's going to explode in number. It's going to be an uncountable multitude. And then Abram believed God, and he, God counted it to him, or credited it to him as righteousness. And we'll come back to that in a minute. But just follow the conversation so you can hear this. Right? God continues and says, hey, I'm the one who promised to do this. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur to the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. That's covenant language. Right? I swore I will do this for you. But again... Abram has more questions, and he says, Lord, how do I know? <laughs> right? It's a great question. How do I know? How do I know this is true? How do I know this is going to happen? And so Abram is wrestling with his doubts about God's promise. He wants assurance in the midst of his fears and his questions. And I think he also has doubts about himself. Right? Because if he is in a covenant relationship with the Lord, right? To be in a covenant with the Lord is to make commitments of your own, to measure up, to believe, to perform. Right? Reward language, that's what you get. You get a reward through your hard work. Right? And so if God's going to reward me, I've got to work hard. How do I know I'll possess the gift that you're promising to give me if I have to earn it? Right? We already know Abram blew it in chapter 13. He's not a perfect person. He's got fear of failure. How can I measure up to your call in my life, God? So, can you relate to Abram? Right? Fear of failure. Fear because the world isn't safe or because your world isn't going the way you want it to go. And then you have questions about God and his promises and questions about yourself and your performance and 
You're just there with your questions, and, and God is talking to you. And so here's what this is teaching us about the life of faith. One, you can see in Abram, the life of faith is not this like constant, triumphant, plowing through life always on top. It's, it's, it's this fluctuating thing. It's an emotional experience of where you, you're going all over the place because of the circumstances in your life because of what God is leading you through, right? It's possible to have peace. It is possible to have your fears met, for sure. But subjectively, our faith goes like this, right? I mean, you saw Abram, leave your family, leave your homeland, go leave everything that's comfortable. In an amazing act of faith, he's, he's at the spiritual high. He says, yeah, I'm leaving everything for God. And he does, chapter 12. That same person, a few chapters later, God, I'm afraid of my enemies. I'm haunted by my own failure. I have questions about your promises. Right? It's quite normal for a Christian's faith to fluctuate. Right? And so how does this transcendent, sovereign, holy, good God respond to tiny Abram's fears and doubts? Pretty patient, isn't he? Right? He just keeps responding to the question. He adds more and more visual assurance. He doesn't explode and say, I, don't you hear me? Why don't you trust me? Right? He doesn't just explode in exasperation and say, why do you keep asking me questions? Stop saying why. <laughs> right? God is just patiently meeting Abram as Abram is saying, I believe, help my unbelief. And so what do you and I do when our faith feels weak, when you feel like you aren't good enough, and you're wrestling with what in the world God is up to. Right, this teaches us you can take your questions to God himself. Right? An act of faith is to ask questions like, how do I know? Or in the Psalms, how long, O oh Lord? What are you doing right now? Are you sleeping? Right? It's a part of healthy, biblical spirituality to wrestle out loud with your faith in conversation with God. Right? Now, how does God, what does God show you when you're anxious and afraid? And that's, that's what's really cool here. I mean, one, the first thing God tells you is he's your shield. But what you need when you're anxious and afraid is to have your vision captured by who God is. Right? He's promised to defend yourself. You do need to hear the scriptures over and over again. Right? You get a Preach that to yourself. God, you promised to be my refuge, to take the blows for me, to defend me, to protect me. Right? You're, you're talk, telling the truth to yourself, and you're letting God say to you, I am your shield. I've got your back. I'm going to defend you from things you can't see coming because you're hiding behind the shield. Right? And second, it's really important to see that God is willing to keep coming back toward you in your anxiety and doubt, right? God doesn't just give Abraham, Abram one shot here. He keeps coming back. He keeps giving repeated assurances and, and amps up the, the level and language of commitment, right? He says, I'm your shield. And then he says, I'm going to give you signs to look at. Go look at the heavens. And then he says, hey, here's my promise again. I've promised to do this. I've kept you safe thus far. 
I'm going to finish the work I started. And then, of course, the chapter ends with this covenant that we're going to talk about. God keeps coming back to work on Abram's faith. Third, you've got to see the objective reality of faith. And this is super comforting and helpful. Because if you look at uh, verse 6 of chapter 15 here, Right? And Abram has a muscle, right? his faith muscle is going all over the place, but it says here that Abram believed the Lord and the Lord accounted it to him or accredited it to Abram as righteousness. This is just such a dramatic foundational statement about faith. It's really good to camp out here for a moment. What does it mean? What is God saying about Abram's faith here? It means Abram just saw God's promise without seeing it fulfilled, and he, and he trusted God's word. He trusted the, the God of his word. Right? See, faith for Abram, without doing anything other than just saying, okay, God, I'm going to let you do this for me. And then all of a sudden, it says, Abram was treated as if he had done everything right in God's eyes. He was accredited to him as righteousness, as if Abram was believing perfectly, as if he now has a record of doing everything right. Abram believed that God was going to do this for him, and God just accredited, give this gift of righteousness to him. Right? And, and almost everywhere in the scriptures, that, you know, the righteousness, you know what that normally describes, right? It's person's right, good, moral, spiritual behavior. Right? You do righteousness. It's something you do. You do right. You can hear that in the word. You do justice. That's part of righteousness. Um, You hear it in Deuteronomy 9, right? When the Lord says to Israel, hey, I'm going to give you this land. And he says, by the way, I'm not giving it to you because you're more righteous than anyone else, right? You're, You're really stubborn. And he's talking about their moral and spiritual qualities. They're not righteous. God's giving them a gift. And so what we see here is Abram, with even the mustard seed of faith that he had, right? God credits it to him as righteousness. He was being justified by his faith. In other words, Abram was being, through his faith, was accepted by God as if he had already lived the life God called him to live, <laughs> to be righteous as God is righteous. Isn't that amazing? It's right here in the beginning. Every person, whoever has walked in relationship with the living God, you have the same experience. If you believe God receives you and accepts you as if you're perfect, right? Through faith, right? And it's not how strong you believe. It just says he believed. I mean, Jesus was going to say, faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move a whole mountain, at the temple itself will just come and dwell with you. <laughs> and that grants you a, a reputation, a righteousness that you cannot earn by your own works. It's a gift. Right? And so for us as Christians, right, Abram's job is to believe God's promise that I will do this thing for you that you cannot do, which is have a land, have a future, have a son. For us as Christians, We look in faith at Jesus, living the life we should have lived, dying the death we should have died, rising again, giving us this new new way of living, this new power, this new life, eternal life, 
And we go, Jesus is Lord. The moment you say, I believe that story is true and telling the story about me, you're justified. God accredits that to you as righteousness. Right? It's like you get a, all of a sudden you get a, a, a debit card to Jesus' righteousness account that never runs dry. You are righteous as Jesus is righteous. Right? See, it's, it's our temptation to say my faith depends 100% on me and my performance. And what God is telling us here, right? faith, the way faith works, you're saying I trust that God will do everything for me because I can't. Right? I mean, that's, that's in our reflection. Think about your life and the way your life of faith has worked and how you've dealt with your fear and anxiety and questions and doubts. Right? It's a pretty subjective experience that leads you all over the place. It's like your life is stuck on a teeter-totter. Right? I don't know if the kids remember what those, those are because they're no longer in playgrounds. <laughs> right? where, where you're going up and down and all over the place. But if you believe... tiny as a mustard seed, <laughs> you have this objective reality that God sees you as righteous, as he is righteous, which means you never have to stop and say, what does God think of me right now? And wonder if you believe. Right? What does God think of you right now as a Christian? If you believed, you are righteous. He credits that to you as righteousness. What do you think of you right now and your performance? Right? You've got to speak that to yourself, too, so to get out of God's performance chair. It's not your job to impress yourself. Right? If you're trying to earn your own righteousness when, when you've already got right, the bottomless riches of what you've received in Christ, it's, it's not real rational, is it? Right? I mean, you start to think about how, this is how my brain works. Right? If, if you are a billionaire... Right? You don't go to work stressed, wondering how you're going to provide. Right? That, that's, that's the rationality of performanceism, of trying to impress yourself when you have all the riches of righteousness in Christ already. Right? Live like the billionaire you are through faith in Christ. Right? You can trust him. Right? I love the way the Heidelberg Catechism talks about this. Right, the Huddleward Catechism asks that question, how are you righteous in God's sight? And it says, only by true faith in Jesus Christ. And although my conscience accuses me and that I have grievously sinned against all of God's commandments and never kept any of them, and I'm still inclined to break commandments, I'm still inclined to all evil, yet God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, just imputes or gives to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. And he gives those to me as if I had never committed any sin, as if I had accomplished all the obedience Jesus did for me, and all I have to do is accept this gift with a believing heart. Right? You believe, and God credits it to you as righteousness. Right? And Catechism goes on to say, why in the world would you say you are righteous only by faith? And so you would say, this is what they, they clarify here. It's not that I'm acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith. It's not about my faith. It's not about my performance. 
No, I'm accepted only because of the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. That is my righteousness before God. And I only get that through faith. Isn't that amazing? Faith is the channel through which God pours all his blessings. In other words, it's objective. It's something that depends on God alone. Right? And so think about the way you're living your life right now. Are you dependent on your faith? Are you dependent on the one who's made promises to bless you through your faith? Right? You know, you know what that's like? Have you ever seen those videos on the internet? Right? Where I don't know where, I think I've seen them in China, where they have glass bridges over these massive deep canyons. So you can, you can walk out and look through your feet at the 300-foot death drop below you, which makes my palms sweat thinking about it, <laughs> right? And you can watch people trust the bridge, and they're cool and confident until they hit that one uh, piece of glass that, that pretends to crack, and they completely fall apart, and they flop like fish out of water, panicking, right? And of course, you have other people who are just terrified Right? They have no confidence going across the bridge. They're white-knuckled on the, on the railing. Right? How do you get across the bridge? Right? If you, it doesn't matter how much you trust yourself going across the bridge. It's, that's not what's going to get you across. Right? It's the strength of the bridge that gets you across. Right? You could be trembling, pants-wetting afraid, but what's going to save you and protect you and defend you is the strength of the bridge, the object of your faith. It's the same here as, as a believer and what Abram's learning. Right? It's not the quality of faith. It's the one whom you trust. And that starts to stabilize you in your anxiety and your fear and your doubt because God credits it to you as righteousness. That's God's word to the, to the afraid. All right, so now, right, we, we're seeing that God saves people and, and works with people in the Old Testament and the New Testament the same way. It's all through faith. We also get to see God's covenant for the doubting. Right, we keep looking at the text here. How does God answer the how shall I know question from Abram? Right, he says, bring me a heifer three years old, a goat, a ram, three years old, a goat, turtle dove, and a young pigeon, right? And God lays out a covenant ceremony for Abram to, to enact. And, and I know, right, if you tried to reenact this covenant ceremony and started chopping up animals in your front yard, uh, people, you get all the wrong kind of attention from your neighbors, we'll put it that way, <laughs> right? Because it's weird, we don't do that. We don't make covenant partnerships like that. Our marriage ceremonies have no dead animals ordinarily, right? They should not. But for Abram in the ancient world, this is how they made partnerships. This is how they cut covenants. This is how they made deals. Uh, the expectation is that the parties would walk through the bloody pieces of the animal. It's like an aisle of, of animals. And both are saying, I will uphold my promises to you, and you will uphold your promises to me. And if I fail to keep my end of the bargain, may I be cut into pieces and dead like these animals. It's basically a, a drama. You get to act out the curse of the covenant. 
right? You can read about this in Jeremiah 34. That's exactly what happens is these guys, uh, these leaders cut a covenant with God and they agree to set some slaves free and then they renege on their word. And so God says to them, I'm going to make them like the animal, the calf that they cut in two. And I'm going to give them into the hand of their enemies and their dead bodies shall be food for the birds. Right? That's the covenant curse language that Abram is about to witness. And so, for all of us anxious folk, if you're about to enter into this kind of deal with the living God that says, should you fail to keep your promises and your end of the deal, how's that going to help your anxiety? Right? I mean, if you're saying, if I do not live up and, and believe just right and, and live up to my end of the promise, right, may I be food for, for the birds, like, that's not going to help my anxiety. No pressure. <laughs> right? And you can add to the picture that ancient kings, when they cut covenants like this, the king wasn't, didn't have anything at risk. Most often it would be the, the lesser parties, the vassals, uh, that would walk through the pieces, right? So you can picture the king up here living the high life and his servant saying, yeah, I'm going to do this for you, and if I don't, may I die. Right? There's no pressure for the king. And so it's likely that when Abram heard this story, go get the animals, go cut them in half. Abram's ready to cut a covenant so that he would know that through my obedience, my blamelessness, God will give me the land. Right? But what happened instead? Well, God put Abram into a deep sleep as the sun goes down and all of God's glory comes and walks through the pieces. And Abram's sleep isn't just a nap. It's this dreadful terrifying, haunting, deep darkness that falls upon him as he sees God. And he hears God speak. The Lord says, no, for certain, right? So there's that promise language, that oath that God says, your offspring will be strangers, sojourners in a land that's not theirs. They will be afflicted for 400 years, and I will bring them out back in the fourth generation after the iniquity of the Amorites is complete. But zoom in on what happens next in the covenant. When the sun had gone down, it was dark, and a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passes through the pieces. Those same words uh, to describe the smoke and the fire are going to describe all of God's glory and presence in the Exodus. In God's presence on Mount Sinai, there's, there's smoke, just plumes of it everywhere, and flashes of lightning. See, what Abram's seeing is God alone walking through the pieces, entering into a covenant with Abram. Right? And, it, and it's a terrifying image because on one hand, it's quite possible that uh, this, this, it's not a tiny torch. It's like a giant uh, beam of lightning just continually burning all the way through. Right? It's a pretty dramatic thing. But it says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And so you have the living God identifying with one, this weak, flawed human being who's already proven to be so, and dead animals. And so what Abram heard and saw was God saying, I will keep, I swear I will bless you, and may I become like these bloody animals 
Should I fail to keep my promises? I'm putting my very nature as God on the line so that you know I am serious about my commitment to you, Abram. It's unconditional. I'm all in. You're, you're just a witness. Right? I mean, what's Abram doing? Is God swearing to bless him? He's doing squat, right? He's, he's sound asleep, just watching the living God. He's just a witness to God unconditionally covenanting himself by grace and grace alone, saying every part of my blessing, you, depends on me. Right? For God to pass through the pieces, he's not only swearing to say, may I die if I fail to keep my end of the bargain, he's also swearing to uphold Abram's end of the deal. That Abram, should you fail to be blameless, to walk before me, may I die and pay the covenant curse for you. See, God is, is swearing right here by a covenant unconditionally, may I be torn to pieces in order to bless you, Abram, to make you and your offspring heirs of this land. Of course, the bigger story, to, to send a Messiah to bless the whole world. I mean, this is unparalleled. <laughs> this is an unconditional covenant of grace coming from the living God where God, the Lord, even right here in Genesis 15, is swearing to suffer death in order to bless Abram and his offspring, to make him a great nation, to give him a land, to give him a son. How's that for your anxiety? You just sit and watch God work for you. Right? Can you come up with a better visual aid for assurance from God himself to, to comfort your doubts, to comfort your fears? Uh, comfort your questions or to, to answer your questions about God and his commitment. I mean, the only way this would be more clear would be for the glory of the Lord, the pillar of smoke, the lightning, the fire, the, the torch, to take on human nature, to come and taste death for us, covenant breakers. I mean, the only thing that would be more clear than what Abram saw would be to see the Lord himself the Lord of the covenant, come and be torn to pieces for all those whose faith has faltered and failed. So as Christians, of course, we hear that. It's exactly what happened. Who is Yahweh the Lord? Well, according to John 1, he became flesh, he became human, we dwelt among us, and it says we saw his glory. And his glory was seen most clearly on the cross. And what, what was the cross like? It was very similar to what Abram went through in a covenant-cutting ceremony. Because it, from the, the sixth hour to the ninth hour, Mark tells us it was dark. This deep darkness was over the land. Right? The, the terror that Abram felt, felt fell on Jesus. As he was torn to pieces for you and I. For all who know they could never be righteous by their own works in order to reconcile, you, reconcile us to a holy God. Right? Of course, this Jesus was cut off from the land of the living. He, went un, he became food for the birds. Also that we could receive that gift of eternal life. And then he rose again from the dead for our justification so that all who believe uh, have Christ's righteousness accredited to them through faith, and faith alone. So what are you doing in this covenant-cutting ceremony? 
Right? What are we doing as God shows you himself? Similar to Abram, you're just watching God work on your behalf. We do nothing while Jesus' holiness, uh, while he satisfies God's justice, while his perfect and active obedience, his righteousness defends us, all who believe. So when God says, I am your shield, and I swear to take the blows to protect you, you see that most clearly in Jesus Christ at the cross. Because it's when we are faithless, God is faithful. Right? And it's not the quality of your faith that's going to protect you. It's the objective quality of your faith that connects you to God's work for you on the cross. And God just says, here, receive the gift. And so, if you ask that question now in light of your fears and anxieties, what does God think of you? In light of what Christ has done. You know, what do you think of you? We've got to learn to see ourselves as God sees us, righteous in his sight. Still sinners, still inclined to all evil, as the catechism says, but, but loved, but defended, but protected, where God swears I am holy and bodily committed to defend you until death re- join us together again and you, you see my glory face to face. And so how do you live with that, Right? We've seen God's word to the afraid, right? Faith makes you righteous. We've seen his covenant for the doubting, right? I mean, one, this is, this is the very nature of the gospel. You are brought in to an unconditional covenant of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. There are terms on how to live a life of faith, and we'll talk about that as we go along. But at the very core, what is Christianity? It's a story of grace, of what God has done being covenantally committed to you at the cost of his own life, the cost of his son. Right? That grace will lead to obedience. Sure, it's a whole new power. It's a whole new way of living. But the foundation for your relationship with God from now and forevermore is God's performance for you, not your performance for him. That is the foundation on which you live your life. And that's what we need when we're anxious and afraid and saying, I can't do this. Right? It gives you hope for yourself. Right? Because our faith will waver. Right? I mean, if you've ever been sick, I mean, that's one of the things I'm learning as I go through just not being physically well in the last year. Uh, there's a lot more anxiety in my heart than I realized. And, and you just realize if this whole thing depends on me and my quality of faith, I'm not getting in, right? There's a lot of times where I pray, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, because I don't know what you're doing right now. I know you're not mad at me, because Jesus shows me that, but I don't know what you're doing. Help me trust you. And what the gospel does, what this whole idea that my faith makes me righteous, your faith makes you righteous, it becomes an anchor for your soul in times of stress and fear, right? This is how the writer of the Hebrews talks about it, right? He's writing to Christians who are saying, God, I don't know if following Jesus is worth it. It's too hard, right? And they're getting ready to abandon their faith and go back to their old ways. And he uses Abraham and says, when God wants to show convincingly the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guarantees it with an oath, So that by two unchangeable things, 
One, it's impossible for God to lie. <laughs> Uh, and we who have fled for refuge to, for, that we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And this is what he says. We have a, this as a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul. It's a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus is, who has gone before us as a forerunner on our behalf. He's a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, and that's another rabbit trail, Right? So what, it, what, what the writer of the Hebrews is saying and what Abram's experiencing, what you and I need is to have an anchor for your soul when your circumstances are just going all over the place. Because if, your anchor, if you hitch your anchor to anything in all of creation, what is all of creation doing right now? It's constantly changing. It's the law of entropy. Right? Things fall apart. If you make another person an anchor for your soul, you're just going to feed your, your anxiety. If you make your own performance, your own identity, anything outside of Christ, if that's the anchor for your soul, you're just going to bounce all over the place and you're going to wonder when the waves of trouble are going to sink you. No. See, the hope we have in the gospel is that you are anchored to Jesus himself and his performance. And he right now bodily is sitting in God's presence, interceding on your behalf, saying, this person is mine, Lord, defend them. He's still defending you. Right. One last point here and then we'll, we'll conclude. All right, you get hope for yourself. Uh, to, to hold on to you. Uh, you see how Jesus is holding on to you in the midst of our anxiety and fear, but you also get hope for your future. Right? And in the, in the covenant here that God makes with Abram, he swears that Abram and his descendants will have a particular plot of land. Right? It's going to come through 400 years of waiting and suffering, slavery in Egypt. And Abram ended up living his whole life never seeing that promise fulfilled waiting for a better homeland, right? Of course, we're not Jewish, right? And so we're not anxiously aiming at this particular plot of land near the Mediterranean Sea. But what happens when you become a Christian and become a part of Abraham's family through faith in Jesus, right? You too are given hope for a future, a land, hope for a better country, a better homeland, a new heavens, a new earth. Right, that this world right now is not safe and not well, but you're given the promise. You become an heir of the world with Abraham, with Jesus. Right? That's what's unconditionally given to you through faith because of this covenant promise. Right? And when you start to think about it, the covenant of grace, the land that is sworn to be given to all who trust in Jesus. It's a land where all things sad come untrue. It's the, the place where sorrow and, and suffering flee. It's the place where there is no more anxiety. It's, it's, it's all through the prophets where it, the promise of the land is that you will finally dwell in peace. You will get along with your neighbors. There will be no more war. Right? As Isaiah 2 says, uh, the swords will be beaten into plowshares. The fighters will be turned into farmers. Fellowship will be restored. I mean, this is part of you get a particular plot of land that is promised to you in the new heavens and new earth through faith in Jesus. 
It's the place that Jesus prepared for you. So, in all of that, where are you going to go with your anxiety and your fear and your questions? Right? We, we don't look at ourselves. We look outward. We look at Christ. Uh, I love the lyrics of my hope is built on nothing less. It's hymn number 521. Right? That my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, no matter how good everything else out there looks. No, I'm called to wholly lean on Jesus' name. But when darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. And in every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood, they support me in the whelming flood. And when all around my soul gives way, he, Christ, is my hope and stay. That is an objective reality that will hold on to you while everything changes. So may you believe and find the Lord credit that to you as righteousness. Let's pray. Father, there is a lot in this wonderful passage, and I'm sure we did not drain it dry. And, And so I pray that we would see the gospel of grace and that our hearts would see how much you have worked on our behalf and how secure we are in Christ. And so for those who are afraid, Lord, meet them in their fear and comfort them in their affliction. And may we uh, go forth from here as witnesses of Christ that we, we have believed and we're committed to him because you first committed yourself to us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.